Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Hollywood Wolfpack with Kaya Alexander. Featuring in-depth interviews and insights with professionals in the entertainment business. Get everything you need to navigate your above-the-line career right here. This podcast is often recorded live in front of Kaya students in the Entertainment Business School. You can find out more at entertainmentbusinessschool.com. Hollywood Wolfpack is the new face of entertainment business wisdom. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Hollywood Wolfpack. I'm your host. I'm Kaya Alexander here today with my special guest, Matthew Medney. I'm excited for you to meet him and tell you all about him. He's the co-founder, CEO, and co-lead creative of Boutique Storytelling Company and Hero Projects. He's also the former CEO of the generational and legendary heavy metal magazine. Matthew spends most of his time thinking about the unknown. As a graduate of the University of Massachusetts at Amherst's Eisenberg School of Management, Matthew started his career in the live event space, operating as a tour and production manager, traveling across 45 countries, producing over 300 shows for concerts like Coachella, Ultra Music Festival, Electric Daisy Carnival, and Lollapalooza, alongside artists like Knife Party, Cheat Codes, Kazo, and more. He's authored several best-selling works, such as his hard sci-fi novel, Beyond Weeper. I hope I said that right, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> the Galactic Star, Alliance Above the Ground, and the graphic novel, Darkwing. In addition, he has penned multiple comic books, including The Red, Stable, and Remnant. Other notable graphic works Matt, uh, Medney has filmed includes works in collaboration with bands and music festivals such as the number one hip-hop festival in the world, Rolling Loud, Grammy award-winning musician Shaggy, along with other notable talents such as Floyd Mayweather Jr., Nightmare Kid, Insomniacs Events, Disney, and the NFL. Welcome, Matthew. How you doing, Kaya? Oh my God, that was like my IQ test for the day, was reading your bio. It's all... <laughs> <laughs> it was a little long. I apologize. I, I know I know you said a hundred words, and as you were reading, I was like, this is definitely more than a hundred words. <laughs> I always warn my guests, uh, if you give me a longer bio, you're the one who has to sit through it. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's definitely uh it's definitely unique, a unique way of torture for sure. How does it feel though having your accomplishments read back to you? How does it feel sitting on the receiving end of that? Uh out of body experience. Really? really? <laughs> it's a little strange. Yeah, it because, it, 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 you know, when you're working on some of those things, you don't necessarily uh, um, contextualize uh, all of it. And even when you're reading it on paper, you don't necessarily contextualize it all. So when you hear it, it's it's a bit strange because, uh, you know, working with, uh, you know, Floyd, for instance, it, it was really important to him to uh, share a story about, like, 
his life because obviously in the press there's a lot of controversy around uh, his literacy and and his uh, focus on boxing versus his ability to read and, and I don't know that's been something that was uh, played in the uh, in the in the trades a lot in the tabloids and uh, Floyd was really passionate about wanting to uh, explain to the world that like he had one option to help his family which was to box and being able to like tell that story was really visceral and that that's what that. Uh, comic book and graphic novel is about and you know when, when you get into the um the details of uh, somebody's life like that you, you sort of uh remove the celebrity that they are and, and you, you focus on on the story that you're trying to tell so uh hearing it back is it, it's definitely a different uh modality than i think about it when i say it to myself when talking about that project which sounds really close to your heart how did that come about um, during the uh, NFT boom in the uh, 2021, uh, Floyd was doing a project where he had sold out, I believe it was um, 15,000 keys uh, to a Floyd Mayweather project, and he and his team were looking for uh, ways to add value uh, to that project. And uh, we had gotten connected through an intermediary, and we had discussed uh, creating this sort of um, life story of Floyd for those 15,000 uh, holders uh, that they would be able to get a uh, an inside look to what has made Floyd who he is today and uh, why he's so, you know, uh, verbose and loud and and proud today and what sort of came about in his early days that that um, shaped that. And that was sort of how that, that came about. And, you know, it's really, it's always interesting to see how, um, uh, uh, athletes and creatives and, and uh, celebrities uh, paths have gone because there's always a thread of wanting to prove somebody wrong from early in their life. Uh, it's always it's always that that that, that is this pretty uh, tropey with almost everyone is that there's a there's a moment that that they latch onto whether that, that moment is perceived by them or actually real. They they use that as fuel. To uh, to become who they become, and and distilling that in a, in a story is uh, uh, was was really fun because again he's the uh, most decorated boxer of of all time. So to see how uh, how he actually ticks uh, firsthand was was really special. That's so cool. How did that collaboration go? Were you working with him? Were you working with his team? Were there a lot of decision makers, or did it ultimately come down to the two of you? Uh, there's a lot of decision makers. We we worked uh, a couple of times uh, on a Zoom, but mostly through his team. Uh, there were a ton of interviews and um, literature that he had done in the past that we were got a source material, uh, and then we sort of uh, crafted uh, this story of um, uh, this hero's journey. Really, at the end of the day, of uh, you know nine siblings living in a one bedroom apartment and uh, him seeing boxing as the way out. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know what a creative you are. And when you have that much abundance of story, how did you find the spine, the, the through line, what you wanted to focus on? I think um, it's always better to have more, right? Uh, an ice sculpture is in, uh, sculpted from a thin piece of ice. Uh, so the more uh, data, the more fat you have, the easier it'll be to find the meat. And uh, until and then if you don't have enough, you the, the, the thing is, when you're creating a story, fictional or non-fictional, um, 
the spark will come from a single sentence, a word, uh, um, a random piece that might not ever actually make it into the final bit. But if you don't have a, a wide array of data points to um, consume, uh, it'll be really hard to distill the essence of what you're trying to say. Because uh, uh, Ben Franklin you know, said, uh, if I had more time, I'd write a shorter letter. And, uh, <laughs> right. and that, that, right, that, 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 is, that is like the impetus for all writing is uh, you want to get all of the information and then find a way to, uh, to distill it in the shortest amount of time. Uh, I, I write a, a weekly newsletter called The Writer's Take on Substack. And in my first Writer's Take, I, I showed my method. I call it the funnel down method, where you take a, a 200 word um, a, um, description of your story and you whittle it down to one word. And, and, and by being able to do that, you can like master the idea of what you're trying to say. Uh, similarly, with how I try to write the last sentence of every book I uh, write first because it's really a lot easier to reverse engineer stories than it is to engineer. And if you have the foresight of where you're going to take the journey, it's much easier to write a better adventure. Oh, I love that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So Matthew and I met at the Creative Vision Sundowner party. Maybe it was like a month or two ago. And yeah. you and I, it was so much fun meeting you, meeting your dad, your amazing dad. <laughs> yeah, he, he is. He, he, I mean, he, he's the legend that, uh, that inspired me to be the creative, right? Uh, having uh, uh, designed Happy Meal toys in the 90s for KFC, uh, running brand partnerships with Nabisco. And then, uh, you know, in my opinion, the most genius was uh, th there's a... Um, if anyone has a pet, a, a dog or a cat, uh, microchipping them, you know, is, is really important because they can run away and, yes. and they can get lost. And, and uh, in the early 2000s, microchipping was a fraction of the uh, animals. It was really misunderstood. People didn't understand what it was. Uh, and it was my dad's vision to take uh, Snoopy and that brand and use that as a uh, equity partner to home again which is the uh, leading uh, microchipping company uh, to, to make it feel safe for the, uh, the pet owner. And, and that sort of um, uh, a vision on story and narrative and, uh, and ideas is sort of where I, I got, the, I, uh, uh, got the inspiration to, to be an author. Because uh, as you said in, in the bio, I started off in torn production management. So I was always telling stories, but uh, I was telling stories on stage with pyrotechnics and confetti and cryo uh, uh, guns and all those things. And uh, it was on the road. I wrote my first novel and it was um, actually for two years, I wrote an outline and was uh, interviewing ghostwriters because I, I had never written, you know, 95,000 words before. So I didn't think I had the right to write 95,000 words. And then, um, I, uh, I interviewed a bunch of uh, ghostwriters for a couple of years, and none of them um, felt like they were uh, nailing the creative that I was going for. And then, uh, and then my uh, co-creator John, who's uh, an amazing 
uh, not just creative, but a scientist. He's a, a astrophysicist for Lockheed and works on the um, uh, um, um, Celestial Ground Support Lead Deep Space Division, basically uh, uh, making sure things like the helicopter on Mars actually can fly in one one hundredth oh uh, atmosphere. Uh, and I can I can go down science rabbit hole, so I'll try not to. <laughs> but um, but uh, uh, he had sent me a clip of a Carl Sagan interview, and it just inspired me to be like, I know how this book starts now. And then we were just, and that was in 2017. We were like, screw it, let's let's try to write it. And uh, and then we wrote it, and it, it did its thing on on Amazon. It, it's done its uh, it's done uh, you know very well, which has been a blessing, and that's sort of given me the confidence to write uh, a, a lot more. And then I've, oh, well, which book which book was that? Beyond Kuiper. Beyond Kuiper. It's unusual that your first novel does so well. Did you have anything in mind in uh, particular with your marketing or was it all word mouth? Um, so when we wrote it, uh, when we started writing it in 2017, the movie Gravity had just come out. And uh, we both watched the uh, review where Neil deGrasse Tyson uh, eviscerated it uh, for its <laughs> lack of science. And uh, both of us had said, if we only ever sell one copy of this book, it needs to be as science accurate as any science fiction novel has ever been. Oh, and that okay. was just that was just our um, impetus from from day one. So I mean, we're writing the second book now. It's taken us four years uh, because we are uh, uh, ruthlessly critical about the science. Oh, um, so with the first book, when it when it started getting reviews, we, we, you know, at the time I was, you know, in all transparency, I was the CEO of Heavy Metal Magazine, which gave me uh, gravitas and, and maybe more resources uh, than than others just because of the, the role. Uh, yeah. I was able to get some reviews uh, and the reviews came in really kindly. Screen Rant had said it was the uh, most realistic design of a spaceship ever conceived in literature. Um which was obviously great. So we've uh, seen a lot of uh, success with the science engineer community um, who reads a lot of science fiction. Yes, so they do. We I'm down here at UCSD, right? I'm in San Diego. And within our family is Professor Brian Keating. Um, my son oh, I love Keating. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, I, uh, I listen to his podcast all the time. Keating is a good friend. Into the Impossible. You're an Into the Impossible yeah. fan. I, I listen to him. I listen to Lex Friedman. I listen yeah. to... Um, uh, 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 Huberman, mm -hmm. all of those guys. Yeah, all those guys. Yeah, they've been building the uh, the giant new telescope uh, down in Chile, and um, totally. Keating's been in our community uh, for about five and a half years. While my son's dad has been working with him at the university as they've been building this telescope and rolling it out, and it's been really fun to see my son running through the labs and growing up watching this telescope get built out of really surprising ingredients, sometimes like play doh in totally. order pieces together you know it's just like super wild that's fun it's the uh it's the 2023 version of the movie contact right well yes. we don't know we were hoping that he he finds out the origin of the universe you know uh, when they get first light on that telescope i believe next year that would be that would be amazing i'm i'm most excited for um the uh the jupiter missions in 2026 i think mm -hmm. it is um uh because uh it's very possible that there's life on Titan and Europa. Um, so wow. there, it could be it could be really, really cool to see. Uh, but so we, we wrote 
we wrote this uh, uh the book and we got these reviews and then uh you know the marketing strategy was not um crazy i wish we probably had done more um we got lucky that it, it had done as well as it did because uh we released it um in november of 2020 uh so the ability oh, wow. to do book tours uh yeah. non-existent so we had done a bunch of zoom book tours which don't really uh hit hit the same way but we uh <laughs> we did the best we could on it um and then uh and then we were able to do a bunch of uh uh, uh media reviews and, and things like that and a couple of promotions there's a um there's a book uh, newsletter called BookBub that does really great promotion. Oh, yeah, and every you have to be selected to to be promoted through them. It's not something that you can just you know sign up for. So exactly, yeah. So 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 all of my books have typically gotten BookBub uh, um, reviews and all that stuff. So that's been very helpful. Uh, Publishers Weekly had done a um, a uh, it's called Books on Tap, uh, where they uh, they do like an interview styled review of the book. Which went very well, uh, and then Comic Con had uh, had uh, uh, orchestrated a panel for us with a biologist to uh, grill us on the uh, etymology of the uh, various species. Because um, when I say that we were very science heavy, uh, I mean even to the detail of the mass density, moon uh, moon uh, composition, radius to the sun, uh, uh, type of sun would dictate the type of life that was uh, on that planet. So we were really granular uh, within, which is why uh, writing the sequels are, are really, really difficult because we have to make sure we don't break canon. Uh, and we even mapped uh, the galaxy with uh, 600,000 uh, planets and different sectors and stargates and 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 a, a lot of uh, over needed exuberance, but uh, it was more for us than it was for anyone else. And I think that's what resonated. Oh, uh, that's so great. Love it. When you get to San Diego, we'll have to introduce you to some friends. David Brin is also my neighbor. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, I don't need much uh, uh, um, convincing to come down to the gas lamp district because I love the food down there. Yeah. It is amazing. Uh, but yeah, that sounds great. We'll definitely have to coordinate that. This is so cool. See, I didn't even know all of this about you because when we were at the party, I felt like we ended up, we were talking to dad. Yes. Uh, getting dad's origin story and you get the two of you together. Oh my God, just light up. <laughs> guy so great and then i think you were you had been talking about nfl which is a little bit buried in your bio let's talk about that and how that brand relationship came about and what you're what you've been doing with them it's really interesting yeah um so i'm not sure what i can say publicly yet but yeah. i can't say that we are doing a uh i think it is a national campaign obviously with a comic uh i believe on september 19th uh, there will be a press conference about it which would be really exciting. Uh, so we can do a follow up if you want on, on yeah, that'd be it. Great. Is it uh, part about? Is it about literacy? I was trying to remember. Oh, no, no, no. So it is um, uh, it, it, in like a grand um, sort of construct. Uh, as uh, anyone that follows the NFL knows, uh, they do a lot of stuff in the community with the local hospitals. They have a uh, table cancer place, yeah. sixty, uh, all of their uh, health initiatives, and this is within the line of the stuff that they do with their health initiatives. Yeah, that's what I had learned from you. You had mentioned how much uh, they do for communities around health, and I wasn't aware of that. I think you said they do more than any other sports league, yeah? More than any other sports league with all the athletes. There is a um, 
an award that's almost more coveted every year by NFL players than MVP, which is the Walter Payton Award. And the Walter Payton Award is given to the player in the league who does the most for the community during that uh, season. Uh, The player that's able to balance uh, giving back to the community with the grueling nature of a full NFL season, the uh, the Walter Payton Award is sort of like the highest of honors for the individual players, and uh, the um, and that uh, perpetuates these uh, various uh, activations in the different communities around uh, health awareness. Um, you know, ki- kids needing to be more active and and less on their their mobile devices and, yes. and things like that, right? Because you know, as much as um, a vast amount of the stories I write are about um, AI technology, the future. Um, most of the time, my my personal view is that uh, technology should be held until like 15 because it really stunts the growth of uh, kids. Uh, creativity comes from um, a lack of resources, not from an abundance of resources. And um, when you know, the best movies that have ever been made are the ones that um, that have a small budget and the directors and, and actors have to be inspired to find the solution. The, the most, uh, uh, um, the, the, the biggest example of that is Jaws. Uh, so Spielberg's first film, true. right? Spielberg's first big th- film, uh, they're a day away from filming and the uh, mechanical shark breaks. He and, doesn't have uh, a shark. Doesn't have a shark, doesn't have the budget to remake the shark. And John Williams uh, comes in the room and talks to uh, Stephen and says, uh, you don't need to see the shark. You need to feel the shark. And that's when you got the bum bum and the bum bum and, and, and the, the audio cue that a shark was coming uh, with the fin, right? The fin is being held up literally <laughs> by a scuba diver underneath because they did not have the mechanical shark working. Now, imagine if they had the budget and they fixed it wouldn't be the same movie okay. it would be like meg like this uh like travesty <laughs> that is meg um but uh, it, it's the fear of the unknown that creates the suspense but to get to that point you need to be put in um in situations where the elasticity is near breaking and you find a way uh to see it through and that, that's just hard to do when resources are abundant and i i think that that principle um uh, uh, coincides with the development of our youth, and, and we need to be more cognizant about how we're uh, developing brains. That we have Huberman has all of this uh, amazing research about how uh, much later in life brain development actually occurs, mm. and it's not just in the youth, and and we're stunting things even younger. So uh, thinking about it contextually like that, I think, is uh, really important too. I completely agree with you. You know, I'm a mom. I have an 11 year old and uh, the pandemic was really tough because he's an only child. So it was like all the schools moved to online. They all moved to iPads. The only way for him to socialize was to get on Roblox, play video games. And after watching what happened to him over those two years, I took them all away. I was like, no, you need to do art. You need to read books. You need to write stories. And like it, it absolutely supported him transformed him he's so engaged in sports he loves reading books he's so creative he draws for hours and it was so undeniable the difference in his happiness his joy levels his depression anxiety start to fade away all for the creativity all for the organic creativity and being outside and breathing fresh air and i was like 
I don't know if I'm ever going to give you the video games back. I know you're all your friends play them. I know it's fun, um, but it's just been such a better life for him. You know, I sound like an old, right? Because I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm such a Gen Xer. I was like, go oh, get on your bike. We didn't even have helmets. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, you know, we, we, we forget as a society uh, uh, history quite, quite uh, quickly. And, uh, you know, uh, in the current construct of of the world and very much America more than anything else, because Europe's actually really great with this, uh, uh, the lack of arts being uh, subsidized and, and, and held up. Almost every major empire to ever exist uh, heralded the arts as a sacred right uh, that needed to be uh, nurtured. Even Europe now, you know, um, uh, uh, these huge classical uh, performances happen in mega stadiums, not because they can... Uh, sell them out or because the finances make sense. It's because the European Union subsidizes all of those events because there, there's a um, sometimes the need to make money is not the only reason to do something. And, and I think we've uh, lost track of that specifically with the arts. And that's why some of these um, more important uh, artistic expressions have uh, downgraded in the size of venues they can do. Whereas in other parts of the world, uh, the government just say, no, no, this is important to our culture. Uh, let's figure out a way to do it. So I, I, I actually agree with with everything you're saying when, when oh, it comes sorry. to uh, uh, being outside and and experiencing nature. And you know, it, it is is not having a cell phone um, maybe uh, 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 causing anxiety for a parent with, that needs to get in touch with their kid. Maybe, but I remember as a kid not being able to reach uh, a parent when I needed something, and I figured out how to do it. And that life skill is. Uh, is, is undeniably important of being able to understand how to just like figure things out. Totally. Um, the situational awareness of that as well, even just for safety, just walking through the world and seeing hey, what's happening around you. Uh, it's been fun watching my son engage with waiters and you know wait staff and all kinds of folks just in and around the world. He knows how to advocate for himself. He knows how to talk to anybody. And you know, there's a lot of joy in seeing that because he's not just interacting with a, a device, a phone, a screen, you know, and doesn't know how to talk to a human being. I'm always trying to put the human back in. <laughs> And, you know, even in my own in my own family, I want to ask you, um, because you give advice to writers and my students um, who are with us live today on our, our call, we've been doing pitching. We've been working on pitching. We've been practicing pitching. We just had their big practice session pitching yesterday. And I'm wondering if you have advice for pitching for uh, my audience, who are a lot of writers and also for the students who are in the school. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to pitching for me, I always say um, prepare, don't practice. Uh, never, never, um, at least for, from my point of view, never uh, um, recite the things that you're going to say in the pitch. Uh, don't try to like look in the mirror and read a script and memorize that script. Um, prepare, learn the, the facts of the playing field. Uh, uh, think of it like a sporting game. Um, you practice plays and you uh, you watch tape, but then everything is audible uh, on the field once you see uh, uh, what sort of feedback you're getting. I think a lot of people uh, uh, fall into the trap of trying to uh, memorize their pitch. And then if, um, if the person receiving it asks a question or you forget a word and you stumble and you forget something, it's a lot harder to keep tracked if you realize in your head that you missed something that you had practiced, then if you just have a 
a, a, a wide array of tools in your toolbox that you can reach for in the right. moment. Oh yeah, that makes so much sense. I love the sports analogy for pitching, where you do get out there and, and see what happens, you know, live and in the moment with uh with what your the the drills that you've done, yes, you know what to exactly. draw from. And then you can be playful in the moment because things can change in real time. Yeah, and, and and then to just add to that is I don't think uh if you go into a pitch thinking that you're pitching, uh you've lost. You need to go into the pitch and think that you're having a conversation with someone that's interested in your idea. Um, uh, if you if you think of it more than a conversation, a you're going to psych yourself out, which is just going to um, be felt by the person you're pitching to. Right. I've been on both sides of of this conversation, and uh, it's very obvious when somebody is nervous, and sometimes nerves can be perceived as um, not confident in the idea. Uh, so it is it is always better to come in and uh, be conversational and don't go 15, 20 minutes straight. And this is this this point that I'm about to make is um, is contrarian to what you'll hear a lot of places. But um, be on the offense, not on the defense and other sports analogy. Ask questions to the person that you're uh, pitching to early. Don't just make them sit through a 15, 20 minute pitch. Uh, do a five minute introduction, ask them a question, get them engaged because, um, you know, if you get someone engaged in a 30 minute conversation and you talk about the, um, the product for five of those minutes, there's a much better chance of them actually reading the take home materials oh. than there is if you pitch them because, uh, the reality is no one's listening to the pitch. I'm just <laughs> gonna break the, I'm just gonna break it to you. They're gonna sit there, they're gonna hear sounds, they're gonna smile, they might pick up on one or two words, and then they're gonna give your uh, leave back materials to their assistant to read uh, to, to write uh, coverage on it. And then they're gonna read that coverage and then they're gonna make a decision if they liked you and if they liked the coverage to have a second meeting. And then that second meeting is where they're, where they're going to actually pay attention. So if you go into it with that perspective, it should always be, how do we get to the second meeting where you're going to pay attention? And that's by humanizing the first conversation. Yeah, I love that. It's so important to make the connection. I teach that within the pitching, like make a human connection, find out what you have in common, more than just like the traffic on the 405, which is yeah. a classic mistake, right? I was a development exec back in the early aughts. And it was always like the small talk of, you know, somebody who's really nervous in front of you, who's gonna, you know, talk like crazy about this thing they hope that you'll buy. And you know, it was often awkward. And um, you just don't buy those pitches, you just kind of go, yeah, you know, this was just uh, dull or confusing and it didn't feel like we want to be friends mm -hmm. the day. It didn't feel like, hey, I want to actually see this person again. Like, I'm going to be excited when we, you know, get to make your movie. I'll be happy to see you. you know? Exactly. I mean, it, you, you don't need to become best friends with the people that you do work with. But I, I am a firm believer that if you are not working with people who you want to go have drinks with, have dinner with, on the company, on your own dollar, whatever. If you're not in the business to do that, then you should go be an accountant. Because like this business is uh, uniquely positioned where the work friends can be really fun and you should embrace that. And, and it is the only industry in the world in which work friends can actually be like 
really great friends. You have to keep um, that veneer of professionalism and you have to uh, ensure that the uh, that the friendship is going both ways, that you're not always asking and you're not always taking, but you're giving. And if you follow those rules, then, you know, when you pitch or when you have these conversations, that that comes across that sort of doubly authentic um, reality of we're going to make this movie or we're going to uh, develop this movie, but we're also going to go have fun at Casinoria and go to the Dodgers game and, and and be able to, you know, exchange gifts during the holidays and have this really great relationship that goes beyond just the work. And, and that is unique to entertainment. And, and people misconstrued that with becoming best friends. And I've I've made that mistake before. I mean, you know, I, I can only talk like this because I've made many, many mistakes. Let's be very, very clear about that. Um, <laughs> but um, but the reality is uh, you, you want to uh, appreciate that this industry and the arts and the creative space uh, allows for cool, amazing office relationships that other industries don't um, um, sort of induce. And, and that should be uh, uh, um, uh, very much coveted. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I like to use the analogy of the solar system. So if you're the sun and you have these relationships, it's unusual that we have this really social business and you might have relationships that get as close to you as like Saturn, Earth, you know, they're, they're orbiting kind of close. Don't let them be Mercury. That's your spouse. That's your kids, you know, like don't let them in that far. But they come close enough that you're like, hey, this is we have fun together. You know, I'm going to okay. see you at that next event. I'm going to see you at that, you know, at the film festival. I'm going to support your movie, your show. And, you know, you, you see these faces again and again and you can be you can celebrate your wins and also talk about your losses and you have people to share it with. The um, title of my show, the name of my show is Hollywood Wolfpack. I always ask my guests who's in your Wolfpack. So this is your question, Matt. Who's in your wolf pack? Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Um, uh, my, 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 uh, my team at Hero, uh, uh, Voodoo Bones, who's Pete Russo, Johnny Handler, and uh, Morgan Rosenblum, uh, we, we started Hero nine years ago. Um, you know, and did did our our first comic was for Live Nation, and our uh, most recent one has been with the NFL, and uh, we've been through thick and thin together, and that that's been um, been incredible. And uh, you know, one of the things that I like to always say about uh, about uh, the people that are close to you, your 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 wolf wolf pack is it's a uh, it's really easy to uh, be friends and in, in good times when things are going well. It's really hard when there are failures and when there are issues and the the real wolf packs are the people that are there in the bad times not the people that are there in the good times the good times are really easy to have a lot of people there uh and then my uh quote unquote new wolf pack is my team uh we had announced uh, about a month and a half ago uh my new creative company called iconic arts um steven hadidian uh, mo yadizi uh alec roth and um uh, Jack Sheehan and we uh we we we're forming this transmedia uh studio 
that is uh, going to do some pretty special things. And and with them as well, we've we've been through uh, a lot already. And it's important to understand that when you have people that are close to you, um, that if they're uh, to to always keep every uh, you know keep a proverbial ledger. Um, you know, it's really easy, especially in this industry as well, uh, for people to latch on and uh, yes. uh, uh, to suck you dry like a vampire. And um, those people might act like they're in your wolf pack, but those are the people that um, disappear uh, when the sun comes up. And um, it's important to keep note of that and uh, to shed them as needed and make that wolf pack as tight as possible. And, uh, and the best piece of advice on that is uh, never uh, never feel uh, sorrow for the people that you have to cut. Uh, obviously, it's going to be painful because uh, we're all like humans with emotions. But the um, but the reality is, if somebody needs to be cut, it's probably because they have um, sucked a lot of your energy without giving you anything. And yes. uh, you do have to remember how to take care of yourself as well, which is also very hard to do in this industry. Or in a worst case scenario, maybe they broke trust. You know, you've got to let people go. And, and it, there's at some point the audition has to be over and you have to know if they're adding value or not. You've got yes. to take a, an honest look at that. Congratulations about Iconic Arts. Transmit, tell me all about it. I'm fascinated by this area of the entertainment business. Yeah, so we, we believe at Iconic Arts that um, every story that we put out is going to be a franchise and not necessarily a franchise from the point of view of um multiple films but a franchise from the point of view of uh different mediums so everything that we're investing in and building and creating uh will have multiple entry points be it a video game a book series a, a tv show a film uh toys uh we're really looking at uh sort of the the gen xers and the, uh, the new way in which media is consumed via TikTok and social media and trying to find uh, avenues in that don't just uh, feel traditional, but feel new and, and can create as much uh, product recognition as a classic film can. But, um, you know, we believe that doing IP from the point of view of what feels best for that IP first and then building content around it that is not repetitive but additive um you know it it, it is uh, unfortunate when you get brands that make a film that's based off a book that is the same video game that has the same toy um because studios as you know probably even better than i do are are so scared of making a mistake that okay. they don't do the correct thing and and a character they don't talk to each other they're like all the same thing in a different form like cookie cutter in a way and it sounds like you're thinking about the relationships that these things can have in their different medium yeah. to one another is that right a hundred percent and another point of view of this that's uh, uh what does what does lost game of thrones and harry potter all have in common uh, they have one thing in common that is why they were so elevated and it's the uh, it's the thing that uh, we think a lot about at Iconic is they all killed off characters that they put a lot of time and uh, an equity into, mm -hmm. and, and 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 fans, uh, people that consume, enjoy that because 
<laughs> if everyone lives, there's no stakes. Right. If there's no stakes, it's not real, right? <laughs> and die. <laughs> right. If nobody's gonna die, then then what are we doing here? So when when <laughs> when you know, I hope I'm not spoiling any Harry Potter stuff because it's like a 25 year old property now. But when they killed Sirius Black, it created real stakes, right? When 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 in uh, book five he dies, you're like, oh snap, this is crazy because I only met him a book and a half ago. And I love this character. And what's going to happen to Harry now? And, you know, I always say that uh, the genius of J.K. Rowling and the Harry Potter series is that if you give any 11-year-old the Sorcerer's Stone and tell them to read one book a year as they turn the next year, and they are the ages of Harry, Ron, and Hermione, each book um, uh, ups the ante of um, life lessons for that age group perfectly it is a perfect journey of life lessons uh, from an 11 to an 18 year old and that that's the way that she wrote it and and those books you know book five so if you're 16 the death of a loved one is something that you can really contextualize a lot of my friends a lot of people i know had you know grandparents that that passed away around that age range and, and being able to read that and see how that was uh internalized and contextualized probably helpful to a lot of people. And that was like the theology that she came with with the books is that each of the books is is, is that age year's life lessons. And I thought that that's just genius, in my opinion. Oh, I love the way that you frame that. That's just so fascinating for the legacy and over the course of time and growth and everything. It's just really interesting. So it sounds like you're thinking that way for your company and about your projects and how will how will the age, the intentionality around what happens over the course of the timeline? Yeah, I, I always say that uh, one of the big things for Iconic is that, uh, you know, again, another term that you probably know very well, a uh, cradle to grave, which yes. means, you know, uh, an IP. I should, prefer uh, cradle to cradle, but I'll take cradle yeah, to grave. <laughs> cradle to grave or four quadrant or, or eight quadrant now, depending on who you're talking to. Uh, and, and my philosophy, because uh, I'm going to be sitting as the chief creative officer for Iconic, is um, the 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 company, the brand Iconic can be cradle to grave or four or eight quadrant, but that does not mean that every IP needs to be, is that within the family of franchises, we should have franchises that adhere to kids, YA, teens, young adults, and adults, and we should have that spectrum uh, for people to choose from and to be able to grow with the company and have an IP that they can latch onto as they grow up, kind of the same way that Rowling did the different years in the books, but if you try to make a singular product uh, attract everyone, it's going to attract no one. Sure. Right? That's just like, no matter how many times people like to use the buzz phrase of four quadrant or eight quadrant, I mean, I don't know if I would uh, show Raiders of the Lost Ark to an eight-year-old, but I, I would show uh, um, the Dial of Destiny to an eight-year-old. And that's why Dial of Destiny didn't do that well, because it tried to... Um, it tried to be something for everyone versus being something for someone. And, and it's really important uh, when you're creating to not listen to the executives. At <laughs> that. that is, that is if, if I'm going to tell you, you have one area to push back on, it is just make sure they understand that things do not need to be four quadrant. Um, first off, it's like such a misnomer. Uh, if something yeah. for an 18 year old, but it, 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 it toes the line, it does not have, uh, you know, 
gruesome sex or, or crazy killing. If it toes the line like Archie does, the 18-year-old will enjoy it and the 11-year-old will aspire to love it because they want to be cool like the 18-year-old. And that's why Archie is such a major hit because there's this, um, this tightrope, this fine line of being able to create IP that's aspirational but also relevant. And when you can find that middle ground, you get the chilling adventures of Sabrina, you get Rivendell, you get Wednesday, you get Stranger Things. Those are all hitting that 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 middle point of being just edgy enough for adults and young adults to like it and just curved enough that the kids can enjoy it, too. Yeah, I think you're even pointing to the success of something like The Simpsons. A hundred percent, Simpsons. But they're but they're time travelers because yeah. how do think like like I don't even think they're human. I don't know how they, they are so. I mean, how do you do an episode in 1994 about Donald Trump winning the election because he got uh, uh, um, made fun of by a former president? Like what? Like how does that happen? Uh, there, there's been I don't know I don't know how many of you guys that are listening know this, but uh, Google like the things that the Simpsons have gotten right. And and it is insane from like, I mean, literally there's an episode of Simpsons in 1994 where Donald Trump becomes president. Amazing. Crazy. Um, I didn't even know that. And, and that, that's one of like 20 different moments that they have predicted over uh, over the course of the running of that show. So uh, it is a, a, a wild uh, uh, reality, but they are they are also a perfect example. Uh, on the upper end would be South Park, right? That, that's for adults. Yeah. You, can't, mm -hmm. you can't necessarily show that to kids. <laughs> of course, no kidding, no kidding. <laughs> okay, I got one more question for you. Um, and I know we're in the midst of the strikes right now, so it's a little bit like, okay, imagine the post-strike world. How are you making your decisions about what to invest in around the IP that you're excited about with your company? Yeah, I think one of the advantages that we have about thinking the way that we do timeless franchise um, on, on bigger picture IPs is that we're not trying to invest in stories that are good for the moment. Um, so if our uh, IPs are uh, not good for a year from now, six months from now, 10 years from now, then we shouldn't be investing in it anyway. So even though the strike is um, crazy and, you know, obviously to just, you know, put my two cents in, I, I, I don't understand how uh, studios can't parse bad decision-making on deciding to invest in all of this technology with them making money on the individual IP. Those two things are being... Um, clouded as an individual um, profit and loss line, whereas the money invested in creating their streaming service and the losses they're taking on that should not have any bearing to the success of the individual content that the creatives are making. And they are um, meshing those two things as one. And I think if as once, once those get thought of properly, you'd be able to have better conversations. But unfortunately, uh, you can't. Um, Justine Bateman, actually, and I'll just end with this, had an amazing point of view on uh, on why we're where we are. In in, in 2000, um, when the tech dot-com boom occurred uh, and everyone had their dot-coms, uh, people invented the term content. That term had not existed before. And content was just a tool used to bring people to their website for the Google ad money. Yes. And then in the 2010s, a bunch of the tech companies bought all the studios. So now we're in a position where these companies who, for their entire existence, have looked at creative 
which they now call content, which is not the same thing as what we make as just a tool to get people on their website. So you have the creatives who look at their soul in these projects and these now tech companies looking at these projects as content to create uh, revenue. And that's where the the heads are mashing. That is the core essence of the of the conflict. And that needs to be uh, reconciled in some way, shape or form before anyone can move forward. Uh, all the other things that, that you read about with the AI and the this and the that are all secondary to that that one core uh, um, ideological difference on, on how they view the the movies and shows that are going on the platforms. Oh yeah, that is, it's true and fascinating, and I hope we all come out on top. You know, for the strikes, for everything, everyone is um, standing for and taking a stand for right now, which is so imperative for creatives and for everything in this industry that matters to us. The stories that we care about telling, the way we care about telling them. Yeah, a hundred percent agree. You've been an incredible special guest. I have had so many laughs with you. <laughs> I really appreciate you being here with us. How can people find you and follow you, especially your newsletter? Yeah, so it's uh, it's at Matthew Medney, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-M-E-D-N-E-Y, uh, at uh, Instagram and Twitter, though uh, I'm really bad at Twitter. I, I post more on Instagram. Uh, and then uh, uh, at uh, uh, The Writer's Take, which is, uh, I think it's substack.com backslash The Writer's Take. And that comes out every Wednesday uh, morning or midday, depending on uh, how the day's going. And uh, and then you can uh, you know follow uh, Hero Projects, uh, HeroProjects.io, and uh, IconicArts.com. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Hollywood Wolfpack. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Please help our pack grow by sharing Hollywood Wolfpack with your friends and colleagues. Give us a rating and write us a review. Kaya loves hearing from you and reads them all. For more on Kaya and the Entertainment Business School, visit entertainmentbusinessleague.com. Until next week, remember, the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack.